Okay, good morning. What? Good morning. Today what we'd like to do is describe briefly an approach along the lines that we've been working with until now to teaching people how to approach Rashi and Tosis. The Klal remains the same. The Klal is learning, is not teaching. And therefore, even though we may very well know how to learn Rashi, but unless we can come across with a methodology and steps of how to tell someone else to do it, it's not very helpful to them. And therefore, what you want to do, like we've done previously, is you want to approach Rashi and Tosis, which is what we're going to try to do today, from a structural perspective. That means you can develop for yourself a, a checklist of what you do first, second and third in order to describe the process of the analysis of Rashi and Tosis. So we will first introduce the theory, um, both with Rashi and Tosis, we'll tell you what to do and then depending on time constraints we'll try to illustrate it in continuing with our Gemoyna Menyach and showing you a couple of Rashi's and the Tosis of how to do it practically. Now, when you're starting to learn Rashi and you want to approach Rashi, you have to know that there's a Seder Hadvarim of how to do it. But there's even one step before you even begin, begin learning Rashi. In other words, when you're teaching a person to learn Rashi, at the outset, you have to describe to him what the role of any commentator is and then the nuances and the differences between the different commentators we've shown him on the Gemara and ultimately as they get more advanced you'll have to describe to them the difference between the Achronim and the difference between the early Achronim and the later Achronim. What's the difference between a Reb Chaim and a Marsha? And what's the difference between a Pnei Yeshua and a Tzlach? But initially what you want to give across is a basic need for commentary which exists in the Gemara and then the different stylistic approaches to how that commentary should come about. The text of the Talmud, as we've dis discussed many times, is written in such a way that there is a large degree of ambiguity in the words of the text that could mean a lot of different things. There's also a terse style that the Talmud uh, employs, which means that sentences are not completed. They are left half finished and there is also often enormous amounts of background information which is lacking in the text. So the role of a commentator has to involve clearing up ambiguity because the text may mean a number of different things fleshing out fleshing out the language because the language itself may be terse and finally providing background information which may be lacking because it comes from a different source so initially you've got the Gemara but you want to be extremely careful that someone doesn't walk in the door at the crucial point and who may that someone be? Vagueness. So to avoid vagueness from encroaching on the clarity of your understanding, there's ambiguity, you have to clarify it. There's terseness, you have to flesh it out. There's a lack of background information, you have to fill it in. So the role of a commentator is, depending on his particular role in the sugya, but let's say one of the roles of a commentator could be to address these three issues. However, there are more complex areas where a commentator may want to focus his attention. Because of the Talmuds, and this will be an alternative track, over this, over here on this side, there would be the helpful role of the commentator. He's there to assist you in your understanding of the text on a basic level. Then there's advanced commentary, where there the goal is to raise issues in the text. Meaning the text itself has problems in it. 
That's the role. There's, there's, there's some type of logical inconsistency in the text itself, and that could occur in the text, or else it could be to raise issues from external sources. There are other things which are which are not compatible, and those things need to be raised. So in other words, there's two essential roles commentators could play. The first role is to be able to go into the text and sort out all the vagueness from it. The second thing is a more advanced form of vagueness. Even once you've got the simple comprehension of the text, but there could be logical problems, there could be stirs in other gemos, and you have to do those. Now, if I would give you a guess and say, which commentator's primary focus is here, and which commentator's primary focus is here, you would answer me and say, this would represent. And this would represent. Okay? So now, when you've done that, that means you have an overview of what's going on. Unless you understand the goal of the, the general goal of the commentator, so you'll flounder <coughs> in trying to give over what he's doing. So therefore, initially, before you start the process of teaching Gemara Rashi, it would be helpful for you to engage your Talmidim in this process and say, this is what Rashi is coming to do, and this is what Toysa is coming to do. The Marshal says a, a great description of what Toysus did to Shas. He says, Toysus made Shas round. In other words, because until then, Shas was a linear thing. You focused on the page and you went along with the sequence of events. What Toysus did, is he made every part of Shas relevant at all times. So he made Shas into a round world. It's Obviously, more so for me than for you. <laughs> okay, so now... <laughs> That's a great expression. Yeah, appreciate it. Where's that No idea. <laughs> I heard it from Rabbi Moshe Shapiro. That's that's a source in its own right. Um, so now you've got you've got these are the two goals of Rashi and Tosfos, and therefore this is the overview. So this is really part one. When you're getting to start to learn the Mephorshim, you give an overview of what the Mephorshim are there to do, which gives a person clarity in knowing what he's getting himself into. Then, now you want to actually start learning Rashi. So you want to learn Rashi. But there's obviously a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 process which probably has a cutie name to accompany it. What would be, what would be the first thing you need to do when you're about to learn a Rashi? Uh, Excellent. Unbelievable. The, the first thing you do before you start learning Rashi is you have to write your own Rashi. Write your own Rashi. Meaning, because you know that the text is terse, because you know there's ambiguity, and because you know there's a lack of background information, now you have Rashi's agenda in your mind. So you can go into the text and say, Aha! This unfinished phrase means the following. This idea is the following. And when this language is ambiguous, this is the way it should be interpreted. Once you do that, you have committed yourself to a mahalach in the sugya. Now, why is it valuable for you, before you've seen Rashi, to commit yourself to your own mahalach? If Rashi says differently, you think, one second. Why did he deal with the issue that I over here in a different way? What's pushing him to do so? If Rashi does the same, you go, Tervaldik. That's, that's the first benefit. The second benefit is, there's Allah in Dayanus. A Baldin can't come before the Dayan and present his case before the other Baldin is there ready to argue. Because the nature of our minds is that the idea that goes in for, first is looked upon our minds as the right idea. Regardless of objectively if it's better or worse than the, the idea we hear afterwards. But the natural inclination of the human brain is that the idea that we get into our brains first is the idea that we assume to be the correct one. Therefore, if you learn up the Gemara and you simultaneously read Rashi as you learn the Gemara, you're going to think, this is chat in the Gemara. 
as opposed to thinking the Gemara has a variety of different Pshetalach and Rashi's taking one side. You'll automatically think in the line of, of Rashi, you'll see things through Rashi's lens and as a result, when you see the other Mephoshim, your tendency will be to try and fit them into Rashi's world. You won't be able to see the diversity in the Gemara. This principle, Agav, the Alta of Kalm uses as one of the fundamental principles of Chinuch and understanding why we operate the way we do. It doesn't matter how good or how true a person's initial chinuch is, but whatever got in there first sticks and becomes the model wherein he views everything else. So that's something that in the course of you teaching your students, you could pick up on and say, we have to understand when approaching something, we have to be mentally flexible, not to be caught up into paradigm prisons and conceptual cages. In order to do so, we would like to create a little bit of objectivity and remove the perceptual filter. And the first way we're doing it is by when we learn the Gemara, let's look at the facts on the page, see how we would see it, and then go on to Rashi, teaching independence of thought. So therefore, first step is write your own Rashi. Now, what we're going to be discussing in general when we get to Tosus, yes, So we call on the students to write their own Rashi's, meaning it doesn't literally have to be that they actually write out, but it means that they have to come up with their own explanation of the Gemara before seeing Rashi. There will be an interaction. So you'll say, okay guys, what does this phrase mean? And they'll say, well, I think it means that. And you say, well, where did you see that in the words? And they'll say, yeah. I say, okay, excellent. And then you lead them along. And if it comes out that what they're saying is Kinegad Rashi, that's Gavaldic. And we'll hopefully see an example. Oh, let's, let's look at it now. You've got, the, you've got these pages in front of you, right? The Mishnah. Hamilech Hazakad. Yeah. Say it again, sorry, I didn't hear you. That's right. What happens is, because you, you, you're aware of the process, and because you almost make to yourself a mental declaration, I'm going to try to figure out what the Gemara make, makes to me, and then I'm going to see if Rashi differs, so you're already going in with a sensitive, you're sensitized to looking for the differences. So then you'll pick them up. You're not trying to fit everything into your chat because you realize you're fallible. Whereas when you see Rashi, so you accept his authority. It all, always depends on the weight with which you give. So you accept his authority. So it's a much harder thing to fight against. I agree with you. If you said to, this is Rashi's pattern, you made a conscious effort to say, but Tosa is probably different, so then it would also work. Okay? Let's give him one example of this, of how um, one could come up with an explanation which is a, a, a phrase which is ambiguous and then how to clarify it. And the, exi- the example exists in, in the beginning of our, our Mishnah. The Mishnah says, okay, has everyone got a copy in front of them? There are a few extra copies over here. Okay. Okay, so you look at the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, then the sake of the Mishnah says the following. Now that phrase is an ambiguous phrase. Correct? The two ways of reading that. Do you see that? You could read it as follows. Comma. Which means, if the breaker was damaged by his trampling on the jug, the owner of the jug, or else you could read it, and if the owner of the jug got hurt by the broken shards that the, broker, that the breaker broke, the breaker is on his nezek. Oh, golly gosh, eh? Sorry, I realize it's Friday morning, which is equivalent to the Sunday morning in the secular world. Do you understand? (laughs) There's a phrase. The phrase is ambiguous. You get the ambiguity? Where you put the comma will either mean that the person that trips and breaks and hurts himself is the breaker hurts himself and the owner has to pay for the damage that the breaker receives. Or alternatively, the owner hurt himself on the pre-broken jug and the breaker of the jug had to pay the owner. 
Good? Good, excellent. You guys are already at an amazing level of Talmudic advancement. So now, when reading this Mishnah, assuming that you have to write your own Rashi, so if you're teaching a class, the chances are both readings will come up. So one group of students will say, the Muzak Barachavis, and if the Barachavis, because they've already got into the sing-song intonation, and it could possibly be that they'll be using a lot of thumbage, the Muzak Barachavis, or one person cry out because you've trained him so well, he'll say, the Muzak Barachavis, it must be that the Barachavis got damaged, and the break is kind of and the other guy will say, what are you talking about? Why should the person that broke it pay for the damage of the person that that belongs to? If he got damaged, and that will be the makhloka that you're praying will ensue in your class. Good? Once you've made signs, so then one of them will say, okay, I want you to commit to your, to your mahalach, and now what we're going to do is we're going to see and give a peek at Rashi and see which way Rashi goes. Says Rashi, Boom! There you go. Rashi says, and if it was damaged, who was damaged? The breaker. So then you know, since it was a breaker that got hurt, it must be that you put the comma after, before, vim comma, You following me? So that's an example of how, when there's an ambiguous way of understanding, Rashi will clarify the ambiguity. And now you also see why Rashi needed to add in that one word. Okay, so now, we went ahead of ourselves just to illustrate that. But now that you've written your own Rashi, you have to start to examine the text of Rashi himself. There are another five stages to seeing Rashi that you have to do in order to get a thorough understanding. The first thing you do when you see a Rashi, and again, what I'm telling you seems laborious and it seems oversimplified, but... By paying careful attention to these stages, you'll avoid the ultimate enemy of the Talmudic student from creeping in. So, you've got, the first thing you do is when you see a Rashi, you've written your own Rashi. You've written your own Rashi, so now you have to go into the next stage. The next stage is geography. Geography means as follows. Locate where on the page Rashi is referring to. That doesn't mean, if someone says geography, does that mean six lines from the top? No. That doesn't mean six lines from the top. That's irrelevant. It means that in the flow of the debate, we have to be able to say, Rashi, our Rashi was located in the Sefer of the Mishnah explaining the word the Muzakbar. You have to be, make a conscious note of where in the Shakl and Taya, if it's a Gemara, or where in the Mishnah... <coughs> Rashi is referring to, and that's the first thing you do, because unless you get the geography, sometimes you can make a very bad and obvious mistake, because often in the Gemara, there'll be two times that the phrase is repeated, and there will be a huge difference if you understand Rashi to be going on the first time or the second time. That's when there's an obvious problem. But sometimes, it will be a more subtle problem, and if you don't make an extreme effort to say, Rashi is located in the safe of the Mishnah, explaining him, who's like, well, thank you very much. So then, you will <laughs> then you will then you will it's amazing how Torah is like water and if you understand what it feels like to drink this water now what would you say that water why would Torah be compared to water did I do this one already why did I do it again then <laughs> So, once you've got geography, that means you locate, the next thing you have to do is this. You have to check the Gersa. Now, often there will be a Hachigar scene in your has got a different Gersa to the Gemara, but even more often, you'll find is if you pay attention to the Dibra Maskil of Rashi, you'll start to see that there are many, many, many times, there are many times when even though Rashi 
doesn't say Hachigarsinen, the Girsa of Rashi is different from the Gemara. So you identify the Girsa and you say, is Rashi's Girsa the same Girsa as our Gemara or is it different? If Rashi's Girsa is different, different, then you have to ask yourself another question. Is it a difference which makes a difference? Often it will be Rashi will have an extra word, he'll have a different tense of the verb, and in the bigger picture of the sugya, it will make absolutely no difference. So you have to check the Girsa. Once you've checked the Girsa, say to yourself, is it a difference which makes a difference or not? Once you've done that, which is really focusing on the Dibra Maskele of Rashi, so you've done two things on the Dibra Maskele. You've geographically located where Rashi is referring to the Suga and you've checked the Gersa. What you have to do next is you have to R and T. You have to read and translate. Get a flow just like we did when we learned the Gemara. You read and translate through the entire Rashi and make sure that your gathering in of the information is accurate. If there's a word in Rashi that's not understood, so your processing will be faulted. So you have to make sure that every word is correct. And you can anticipate after R and T, you have to D and C. Divide and conquer. You have to break Rashi up into his constituent parts, describing the function of each and every one of the parts of Rashi, which we'll soon get into. And finally, which is really one of the parts which relates to the next part and we'll explain it more fully is language once you have geographically located Rashi you've checked the gears you've read through and translated and make sure you've got an accurate translation you divide it and conquer it and you know that there are three parts to Rashi that the first part is paraphrasing it the second part is asking, answering invisible questions and the third part is bringing, bringing a proof you now have to study the language of Rashi and you have to look for anything which is superfluous as the ordinary and once you've done that you've got a relatively solid Mahalik and Rashi but the next part of the process will assist you also in language and that is we have to be able to bagel every Rashi yeah it's been a long time since we've had one of those phrases of course you realize that this is very structure popish but bageling Rashi defines Rashi's agenda what we discussed initially was there's a general there's a general agenda of the Mephoshim. Rashi's general agenda is to correct the ambiguity, clarify it, to fill in the missing words, and to give us background information. And there's a specific agenda of what Rashi's doing with this particular Rashi. So Rashi could be doing one of five things. He could be providing us with background information. He could be answering an invisible question, because Rashi doesn't really spell out the questions. Or it could be art-scrolling the Gemara. Now, art-scrolling Gemara means he's filling in the missing words that the text doesn't complete for itself. So it could be answering invisible questions. The Me'iri writes about upon Rashi. The Me'iri in the Hakdama to Avais, he speaks about all the Mephorshim. And he says, many of those... Now, the Me'iri was a Rishon. He says, many of those... And this is something that would be important to emphasize, to give your find that when you learn Rashi this way and you're able to show what Rashi can do with one word, it creates a covet chachamim amongst the Talmudim. What you're trying to do in a general sense is not only teach them techniques of Talmud. You're trying to allow them to develop an emunas chachamim. If they can see that Rashi, with a two-word inflection of phrase, can answer up all of Tosas' kashas, so they have much more faith in the Chachamim because they realize that Rashi is subsidiary to the Amoraim and once they understand the readers of Doris, they'll be filled with awe. So therefore, what you want to do is you want to show that to them. So the Meiri says on Rashi, the Mila Achat, with one word, he can answer up Chavilois Kushois. He says, few of those that are yoyed to the Omek of Rashi. Um, in the Sefer Klonim, it says about Rashi, Dark of the Gemara, it says, Rashi would never put a drop of ink to paper unless it was absolutely necessary and that every, every letter is well thought out and preciously, and preciously written. So once you tell it to your Talmudim, they develop an appreciation for the godless of Rashi and they don't overlook obvious, um, obvious parts of Rashi which you may just cast away and say, oh, Rashi is just saying this, but they appreciate the depth. So it could be Rashi answering an invisible kasha or art scrolling. Sometimes the goal of Rashi is Gerasa. This is different from that. That is, you compare the Dibra Maskil to the Loshna Gemara and see if they are 
are they if they're in sync? Over here, sometimes the goal of Rashi is to fix up the guess in the Gemara. Meaning, he says, Haki Garasinan, and I'll explain to you why the Lord Garasinan Haki. So that's another gender. In other words, Bagel describes the gender, the specific agenda of Rashi. Sometimes Rashi is excluding a different pshat. There's a different way of learning the Gemara, and the goal of Rashi is saying, don't learn the Gemara that way, make sure you learn the Gemara this way, and sometimes Rashi is clarifying an ambiguity in the language, and his focus is the Gemara says this, often those Rashis will begin with a Kloimar, whenever you see a Kloimar, red alarm bells ringing in your head, make you thinking that what Rashi is about to do, is say even though the words say this, they really mean that. No. He's referring to Gemara in such a way that when you see Joseph's Kasha, you see that that's what he's trying to knock out. In other words, I feel you're not necessarily bringing that out of Rashi itself. You're just setting it up that there could be another Mahalo. In other words, correct. In other words, when you ask, when you see Rashi, for example, in the process, you go and you learn the Gemara, and then you see that you would have learned in Huzak Bar Barachavis Chayav Niskoi. So I would have, I would have um, put the comma after. So comes along Rashi and says, niskal. So it means he's coming to exclude that way of reading. So why is he doing that? Then I'd have to reason why he's doing that. Okay? Gentlemen, you okay so far? Yeah. You've bageled? You understand the... So, so now, let's just, let's just test drive that with a couple of Rashis. We did one Rashi. Let's, let's start with the first Rashi in the pair, because it's an interesting thing. I'm sure you, you know this, but good to be able to express it in a fluent way. Says Rashi, So now, what is the Dibra masculine of Rashi? Excellent. The Dibra masculine of Rashi is Veshavra Potu. But one second, the first word on the line, why is that so? The Dibra Maskel Veshavra Zakad, that's the geography. Let's do geography. Where is he referring to? Veshavra Zakad, correct? Veshavra Patur. So why is it saying Menech Zakad? Every time there's a new Perek, Rashi will begin with the first words in the Mishnah of that Perek. But it doesn't mean that that's the Dibra Maskel. Obvious to us, important to share with the students, they may start to think, why is Rashi saying Menech Zakad? He's not speaking about Menech Zakad. So the first thing we do is we geographically locate where in the Mishnah Rashi is referring to. He's referring to the first in the Mishnah, and th- in the Mishnah we divide up into two parts, the Tzir and the Din. He's telling me that the Din, Veshavra Potter, and then Rashi says, there's reason to translate, the Gemara, Mephaish Taimah. In the Gemara, it is explained the reasoning, not too much dividing and conquering needed over there. Now we have to ask ourselves, what is Rashi's agenda over here? Is he coming to give us background information? No. Is he coming to address the Gersa? No. Is he coming to exclude a different Pshat? No. Is he coming to address the language? Maybe. Pashtas, what Rashi is doing is he is answering an invisible Kasha. Correct? Whenever Rashi says, Begemoyah Mephash Timer, it means that when you read through the when you read through the lashon of the Mishnah, you think to yourself, "What the Shavra Potter? That makes no sense." And you quickly look to Rashi, and Rashi doesn't say anything. What does he say? time. What does he mean to tell you? He means to tell you that there's a glaring kasha over here. Don't panic. That kasha will be dealt with in the Gemara. Now. What you do with your students is you say, what is the kasha in Rashi that he needs to say? But Gemara Mephaish Taima. What's the kasha in Rashi? Should be Chayev. Why does it say the Shavra Potagon? Adam Adam A person should be Chayev. And the Gemara says, the Mishnah says, Potter, why is he Potter? So that's, so we said, we did, we geographically wrote, we, ge- we geographically guess uh, Divide and conquer, and we saw that Rashi is coming to answer invisible Kasha and Pashas, that's all. Okay, let's give an example of another Rashi. Turn over to Amud Base.
Okay, so let's just remind ourselves of the yes. On the contrary, you rather going to speak out the kasha. So I'm saying the answer. He tries to start answering and going, anticipating the gemara's letter. For sure, you let him, because that's like writing, it's like the same idea. You're saying your own svara, so then we'll stand out, we boilate when you see the gemara. Okay, so now let's look at Rashi. Remember, let's go through the sugi just to to orientate ourselves. Amai patur says the gemara. Amai patur. Amai patur. Iboy leilunemazel. Why is he exempt when this person does his washigiri kick? Was it a washigiri kick? No, only in the safer. When the person does his stumbling on the jug, why is he patur? Iboy leilunemazel. You should look where he's going. The gemara gives how many teretzim? Four. Four teretzim. Three, a gap, and then a fourth. The first church of the Gemara is Amid Vay Rab Mishmed Rab Malirushis Rab Makulachavios. Says Rashi. Nothing. Lesson number one. Teach them about Rashi's silence. Just like when Rashi says something, it's significant. Also, when Rashi doesn't say something, it's significant. When Rashi remains silent, what does it mean? It means there's no ambiguity which needs to be clarified. There's no terseness in the text that needs to be fleshed out, and there's no need for background information. In other words, the words, as they are read, give you all you need to know. Do you understand? Just as you learn, there's a famous um, Sherlock Holmesian expression. It's when he's trying to find a clue. One of the clues he uses is, who was the murderer? He doesn't know. But the dog didn't bark. The dog didn't... Sorry? <laughs> the dog. <laughs> if, you want, if you want the mocker, go to Rabbi Blackman. So, so all you have to know, when, when Rashi doesn't speak, it's also significant. Meaning, if you go through the Gemara and there's a problem in the text, and you have a problem, and you to be neat and fresh, and Rashi doesn't see a problem, why didn't Rashi see the problem? I agree with you. So now it becomes a cash on Rashi. So Rashi, if there's a glaring problem with this terrorist, why didn't Rashi bother dealing with it? And then you'd have to think, maybe because it's going to be dealt with late in the sugi, and therefore he doesn't feel it's necessary to deal with it here. Okay? Good. Next, next Rashi says, next Gemara, the Gemara asks, then the Gemara goes on to Rabbi Yechnen. Rabbi Yechnen, Amar B'Keren Zavis. Rabbi Yechnen says B'Keren Zavis. Amar properly. sorry, sorry, I skipped Shmuel. Amar Shmuel, Shmuel Amar B'Fedeshan, Rabbi Yechnen, Amar B'Keren Zavis. So now, Rashi doesn't comment on Shmuel either. He comments on Rabbi Yechanan. So now, think about it. If we had write our own Rashi and we wrote about Ken Zavis, what would we need to say about Ken Zavis? We'd say about Ken Zavis something along the lines of volunteer. Where the person was and where the barrel was. Where the person was located and where the barrel was located. Says Rashi, be Ken Zavis. So Rashi is geographically located in the words of Rabbi Yechanan. And his guess is identical to ours. Let's read and translate. Says Rashi. Now there's another point that you have to emphasize. Is there are two types of Rashi. There are Rashis which are called run-on Rashis and there are Rashis which are non-run-on Rashis. What's the difference between a run-on Rashi and a non-run-on Rashi? Does the Dibra Maschil go straight into the flow of Rashi or do you take the full stop, the period seriously? Sometimes you stop with the full stop and sometimes you carry on reading. Bekeren's office. Keshen Nichnasim. Is this a run-on Rashi or non-run-on Rashi? Non-run and Rashi. Because of this new point. When you enter from one Mavi, which is a cul-de-sac, a dead end from it to another, min from the side, the person put the jug on the side of the cul-de-sac next to the corner, and when this person turned his face, he didn't see it. Good. How many parts to Rashi? One part. He's not, two, he's not doing too many things. He's doing one part. One part to Rashi. So we've done geography. The guess is the same. Words has been translated. We divide and conquer. Before we go into language, let's see what Rashi's goal is. Is Rashi dealing with a problem in the language? No. Is Rashi extremely different chat? Maybe. Maybe there's another Malachi in Keren's office. Is Rashi dealing with a guess, sir? 
No. Is Rashi answering an invisible kasha? Probably not. Is he art scrolling? Is he giving us background information? Most definitely. What's Rashi's goal over here is to provide us information. Ken Zovis, we don't know exactly what it looks like. He describes a situation where there are two intersecting cul-de-sacs, that the jug is placed around the corner of one. Ken Zovis, let's say, is open to interpretation. He clarifies and illustrates the case. Are you following me? Are you getting the hang of this? Laborious, but extremely beneficial for a person that doesn't know where to start when beginning learning Rashi. Let's move on to Tosfos. I think that was sufficient. Tosfos. So now, because Tosfos, because Tosfos' agenda is slightly different from Rashi's, what we have to do is when we're learning Tosfos, and this is true really of all the other Rishonim, um, the Rishonim who are Makshim, meaning the Rishonim like the Ritva, the Rashba, who fulfill the same role as Tosfos, so you have to apply what we call the seven wonders of the Rishonim. The seven wonders of the Rishonim. Now again, when teaching these principles, as you can see that to be flooded with too much technical information as I'm doing you today has an anesthetic effect. Uh, people generally go into different states of slumber. So you can't, you, can't, you can't do this all at once like I'm doing to you. This is just because um, I feel that you all need a kapora every Rosh Hashanah. But you have to space it out and make sure that there's always this, inter, this, this flow of excitement technicalities because you don't want to leave them without the technical skills but you don't want to flood them with too much technicality where it just becomes this laborious mathematical process of I do this and I do this because then they won't want to learn even though they know how to do it. You following me? Good. So now for something extremely exciting. Some exciting technical information. Once upon a time in a principle far far away they lived the seven wonders of the Rishonim. Now why are they called wonders? Wonders, are, wonders are, are, are things which create a sense of astonishment in the person that beholds them. And when one looks at these seven wonders, one is perhaps overwhelmed with a sense of, of awe <coughs> and trepidation. The seven wonders give voice to the stages of approach to Tosis. There's a big overlap in stages one to four between Rashi and Tosfos. The first four things you do are employ your lower order thinking skills and there's no difference between your analysis of Rashi and analysis of Tosfos. We have to do lots. Lots are lower order thinking skills. You have to apply lower order thinking skills which means you're not thinking about the information. You're dealing with processing the information, reading and comprehension. Geography, you have to check where it's located in the Gemara. Gerasa, has you got the same Gerasa? Read through and translate, divide and conquer. The dividing and conquering in, in, in Tosis will discuss about the different words, just like the Gemara of Inuravashi created a whole set of keywords. We call them Katex. So to Tosis also has his whole, his whole set of keywords. Each keyword has a different connotation. For example, there's a difference between a Tamer and an imtoimar, and an afogav, and an einloimar. Correct? In terms of the, the severity of the difficulty that it poses. So, you geographically locate with Tosis, you check the guess, you read through and translate, you divide and conquer, and now the fun begins. Now you start to get really into the nitty-gritty of thinking and not just going about. The f- next thing you do, so these are wonders. One, two, three, four. With wonder number five, you start the difficult points. And this is, just like we saw in the Lashon of the Gemara, that when there's a kasha, you have to know who's in the crosshairs. As you occur, I, I imagine it was, was it him that was in the crosshairs? Yeah, yeah. It was him, no? Yeah. He had a bigger nose last time. Yeah, he had a nose job. He got some stubble. Um, so, in the crosshairs, who is in the crosshairs? Who's in the crosshairs 
of Tosis's kasha. This is something which is actually much harder to do in Tosis than it is to do in the Gemara. Because very often, it's not clear who Tosis is asking on. And it's very important to emphasize, is he asking on the Gemara and the Mishnah? If he's asking the Gemara, he's asking the Maksha and the Tyson. And if they have names, so he's asking Kasha and Ravashi. Once you've got crosshairs, you have to rephrase it in your own words. And every Tosis, always, whenever you have a Tosis, even though Tosis, Tosis has got two different types of cushions. Sometimes they are explicit and sometimes they are implicit. Make sure that you are always able to phrase your Tosis as an Even though it's an implied kasha with an implied answer, for clarity's sake, make an Intoima out of it and make a Yeshlema out of it. The Intoima and the Yeshlema, I'll explain to you how you do this shortly, is it means you have to rephrase in your own words what Tosis is saying and you have to directly address directly address the victim of the kasha. Who is he aiming at? In other words, you have to imagine, like we did in the Gemara, that in your, sitting in front of you is a person you're asking the kasha on, and you're finding difficulty with the kasha. You ask him, and you ask him with passion and direction. So, that's crosshairs. Who's in the crosshairs of Tosis? Now, once you've gone onto crosshairs, and you've defined who the crosshairs are, you also have to do, like we did in the Gemara, you have to do premise, and shift. What was the assumption that Tosis had in mind when he asked the Kasha? And what shifts when he gives the terrace? This is known in general as the integrity of the Havamina. This is a basic fundamental point about Gemara in general and about Tosis and the Rishonim specifically. That when they asked the Kasha, there was meaning in the Kasha. Not only that, but there, there's rise in the, in the Achronium that they say it explicitly, there's a Rebbe Kiva again Gittin that says this, that choices, but it's, well, when you learn choices, it's obvious you don't need a Rebbe Kiva to prove it, that the choices, the, the, the Rishonim, whenever they ask a Kasha, their Kasha is based on the Pashtus. Just like our reading of the Mishnah, you always begin with the Pashtus, and only if you can produce a... license, do you have a right to override the Pashtus? In other words, the movement is always from Pashtus to Chidush. You don't start off with Chidush. If you start off with Chidush, you're a Meshuggah. Therefore, you begin off with the Pashtus. The words seem to say what, mean what they say. And only through a logical obligation can you perform the LLO, the logic language. Override, you have to move from Pashtus to Chidush. So therefore, traces of premise is the integrity of the Havamina. It makes sense. Tosis views the Gemara from a t- particular perspective and says, I don't understand, and the premise is based, like we said last week, on a series of assumptions. And then in the terms of Tosis, you have to know what shifted. We said last week that often the premise contains two parts to it. So you have to know which part shifted. Was it the scenario or the theory that shifted? And finally, the seventh wonder is substitution. Substitution means that you then have to take Tosis, and often Tosis would have re-understood the Gemara, whereby it no longer follows the Pashtus, and then you have to reread the Gemara. Now this is something which, because you're experienced learners, you don't realize how confusing this is for a new entry into Gemara. Many times, for many years, there are people that don't understand the Kesher between the Gemara and the Rishonim. They think there's a Gemara, and that's over there, and that's what you open. And then there's Rishonim, and they exist in books, which are on the shelves. And you learn the Gemara, and then you learn the Rishonim. The Rishonim. And they don't understand that that is not true. There is no Gemara in the Rishonim. There's no such thing. There's no Gemara, and, and also there's a ritual in the Rashmana. There's only Gemara. But, there's Tosis' Gemara, which is that. And then there's the Ritual's Gemara, which is like that. And then there's Rashi's Gemara, which is like that. It's not Pshat that there's a Gemara, and that Gemara is a solid entity. And then there's a Ritual and a Rashi. Rather, the Gemara is a flexible entity. The Gemara is completely plastic. And according to Rashi, this is the Gemara. And according to Tosis, this is the Gemara. There was once a discussion between Rabbi Aaron Kotlin and Rabbi Leib Malin. And Rabbi Aaron asked him a Kasha. And Rabbi Leib said to him, What do you mean? It's a Gemara in Bavakama. And Rabbi Aaron looked at him and he said, Not in my Bavakama. Do you understand? 
That's the point. The point is, when you have a mahalach in the sugya, that's what the sugya is telling you. It's not that there's a sugya and there's something outside of it. It's part and parcel of it. So therefore, substitution is crucial. You have to be able to read choices back into the Lashna Gemara, and then you see there'll be a new Gemara. Following me? Okay. So that's... Sorry? No, I'm saying he, he held that his Gemara is the right Gemara. He held that the Rebbein the had the wrong Gemara. The substitution. Okay, so those are the seven wonders. Let's take it for a bit of a test drive in Tosis. Okay, now this is going to be complicated because until now, all I've done to you is I've told you ideas and now I'm going to involve you in the Shaklan Tire, which means you have to be fully awake and engaged. Um, which I realize is a, is a, is a perhaps unrealistic demand on this, on this, on this Friday morning. Um, so, in order for this to work, we're not going to, I'm going to try and make it as straightforward as possible. And what we're going to do is we're not going to do the... Well, we'll see how far we get. But initially, we'll just do the first two parts of, of Tosis. We'll beginning with the Tosis, which is Dibra Maskil Amai. Okay? Do you all have your texts in front of you? Do you all have your brains geared up? Uh, it's n- is it on that page? It's not on that page. Okay. Has everyone got a text in front of them? Who is lying about having a text in front of them? (laughs) If you do not have a text in front of you, find a friend who does. This is going to become a textual share. Now you'll find when you speak to people in Gomorrah, so there'll be certain individuals that will be reluctant to look at the text because they'd rather sit back in their chairs. So you have to isolate those individuals and make sure that they actually have a text in front of them. And often you'll say to you, are you following? And they'll lie through their teeth and they'll say yes. And in fact, you'll see that the text is out of their line of vision. So those situations, you have to call them to... And you s- Do you have a text? <laughs> Go on. Say again. The reason why the guy can just follow this question in Rashi, they may not follow the places, because they haven't gone through themselves. So you're talking goes right. right over their head. That's right. a problem in class as well. Of course. In other words, ideally, that's actually a great point. Ideally, which is right, which is, which is a problem over here, that, that ideally, you want to have given the guys preparation before shear. Because until they've struggled and tried to understand themselves, there won't really be any meaning in your understanding of what you're trying to explain to them. Once they go over it and they're bothered by the problems that you're going to raise, so then your share becomes meaningful and it works. So 100% you should ideally start with preparation. Unfortunately, in our context, we couldn't fit it in. Go on. Seven, eight-year-olds. Yeah. You mean if you're talk, t- teaching little children? That's a whole different chinuch. Whole different chinuch. We're talking about adult learning. Different, different, different. Okay. Um, good. Okay. So now what we're going to do is I'm just going to give you yes. How do I not get bored after 15 years? First of all, there's an assem- assumption to your kasha. I'm not bored. <laughs> um, but your kasha is based on the correct assumption. I'm not bored. The reason why I'm not bored is because um, there's two reasons why I'm not bored. The, fir- the first reason is that the first reason is that if you, it's, Rav Pam once said, he, he, someone said to him, I think it was him, they said to him, um, how can you teach the same Bavakama again and again and again and again not get bored? So he says, if you're teaching Bavakama, it gets boring. He says, I'm teaching Talmudian. So every time, every time you get a, a new group of people, so the, 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 the excitement is not the Gemara, the excitement, since, remember we started from the start, we said, your role is a mediator. Your role is to make yourself redundant. So what's your goal? Your goal is to make them learn Gemara. So your satisfaction comes from them chapping the Pshat, not from you understanding a deep Pshat in the Gemara. So ironically, a person who's selfish in their teaching will burn out. If you look at your role as a mediator, so then it's always, it's always something new. There's a new sugya and there's a new gemara every single time new people come into your, into your, into your arena of vision. That's n- number one. Number two is you have, to be teach- you have to be changing your teaching methods the whole time. 
In other words, you have to be advancing them. Like even though these are things, these things which I've put together now, let's say that's an accumulation of let's say a decade's worth of of researching and understanding. Now, right now, I'm probably going to start changing a lot of it. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> But that, that's the nature of, of growth in teaching. If you're teaching exactly the same way now as I was 15 years ago, so then I failed. You have to be modifying your teaching style constantly and looking for new ways of improving. Okay? <coughs> Good. Vita. So now what we're going to do now is something which is ag agreed. Because of the lack of preparation, it's going to be quite tough to do. I'm going to ask you to try as much as you can to hold cop just to try to get a sense of the technique. We're not trying to learn Gomorrah come over here. What you're trying to do is get a sense of the technique. So let's try it. Now what we've got over here is, remember when we went back to the suga, we had a kasha of the the makshan, the makshan asked the kasha on the tana of the Mishnah. The tana of the Mishnah said that a person that puts a jag b'shusarabim he told us that the din is gentlemen, gentlemen, Potter is pathetic. Remember, sing-song intonation and with preference to a gruff ending of the word. Let's try that again. A person, the tongue of the Mishnah says that when you trip over the jug and you break it, the person that breaks it is... Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. His potu comes along the Gemara and says, Am I potu? Potu! Am I potu? Passion. Am I potu? That's the Gemara's Kasha. He should look where he's going. He should look where he's going. We said the premise is the reason why you have to look where you're going is because Adam word Oilam and you have to look where you're going and therefore why you potu you should be chayev and yet the Tana of the Mishnah says potu. Good? Gemara answers with four Tiritim. Says Tosis. Am I potu? Following traces on the right hand side, the second traces. Um, get into the habit of when you try to refer to a line in the Gomorrah, be explicit by using line numbering and the first word on the line. So you say, our traces and the traces, we're saying it's the second traces on the page. It begins with the words, am I, and it's approximately six lines, parallel to six down, lines down in the Gomorrah. Am I, Potter says traces, Ibole, Liune. So Tosis, Dibra Maschil, is located where in the Shaklan Taya? Sorry, Tosis' Girsa is same or different? Oh, so the shine is, does Tosis have Umezel or not? Has he stopped it there and he has a Girsa? The implication is he didn't have Umezel, right? Because like, that's the end of the phrase. So partially he wasn't Girsa. So there's already a aura. Is there a difference? Is a difference? We're not sure yet. Ibrahim Amazel. Geographically, where is Tosis located? In the first Kash of the Gemara addressed at the Mishnah. Now let's go and we'll read through and transfer, read through and translate the first stickle of Tosis. Here's Tosis. Am I part Ibrahim Amazel? Aval, but. Hach, this, loy poich. This he did not ask. Meaning, the Makshin in the Gemara didn't ask the following question. Open quotation marks. Am I? Why? Chayev is he liable ben Nizkoi in the damage of the breaker? Kashi Huzak when he gets damaged. He should, he should look where he's going, close quotation marks. Okay, so Tosa says, Avalhach, but this, the Makshin didn't ask. What Kasha didn't the Makshin ask? He didn't ask the following kasha. He didn't ask on the safer of the Mishnah. Why is it that when the person hurts himself and he broke the jug, why is it that the, the owner of the jug has to pay for the damages he sustained? Why don't we say he should have looked where he was going and therefore he caused the damage to come upon himself? Okay? End of part one of Tosis. Accurate translation. Trying to fill in the punctuation marks to make sure that the guys can follow along with you. And then Tosis continues, Kidaparishti Lael, as I explained above, and the brackets indicate the place where Tosis said this previously. It was in Davchov Gimel. The dot, if there's two dots after the letters of the page number, it means it is the facing page, Amud Aleph. If there's one dot, if there's two dots, it means it's Amud Base, the opposite page. 
the Dalit Hay stands for Dibba for Lachayev. So if you want to reference what Tosa said, we can go back there. That's a helpful thing to have. And now Tosa continues and he says, The Yay said that it's more Yesh law there is to him, more there is to him, Lishmor to God, Shilo Yazik, that he shouldn't damage others, Mishilo Yuzak, more so than he shouldn't damage, get damaged himself. So now, we've geography, guess the geography, read through and translate, divide and conquer. Choices is divided so far, we go through the whole thing, we don't have time. Choices is divided up into two parts. The first part is a, first part is a, kasha. The second part is a, teretz. So the first part is a kasha. So now let's go through it. So we've geography, guess, read through and translate. Divine and conquer. Crosshairs. Who is in the crosshairs of Tosis's Kasha? Uh, the Makshan. The Makshan, it is a How would you rephrase the Kasha in your own words? Say it loud. Makshan. You've got two Kashas you could have asked. You could have asked on the ratio of the Mishnah. Why, when I break it, am I potter? You could have asked on the safe of the Mishnah, why, when I get hurt, is he chayev? Why did you pick the ratio? You should have picked the safer. Now, when you say it that way, you start to think. Because why should he have picked the safer? Surely the ratio comes first, so you should ask only on the ratio. By rephrasing the kasha, you start to understand that there's a problem or a lack of understanding what choices means to ask, which will bring you on to what is choices' premise. You following me? Have I got 60% of people's attention? Which boils down to about 30% of the people in the room. So, again, so there's... Tosis has asked the kasha. <coughs> why, when the makshan asks, did you ask on the ratio? Why is the breaker part? You should ask on the safer. Why is the Baruchavis chayev? Since I'm in charge of looking where I'm going, it has two consequences. Firstly, if I break it, I don't take responsibility. And secondly, if I get hurt, you're responsible. But now that we're saying I should look where I'm going, looking where I'm going has two consequences. I should be liable for what I break, and I should be exempt. If You should be exempt if I hurt myself, because it's not your fault, it's my fault. You following me? Yeah. Okay, so now, there's obviously a premise in Tosis. There's a premise in Tosis that we have to understand. Why does Tosis say, what is Tosis thinking when he says that there should be a kasha on the Sefer? Why should it be a kasha on the Sefer and why shouldn't it be just a kasha on the Reisha? <coughs> now, in order, to do, in order to find out premise and shift, you often have to work backwards. You often have to work backwards. Working backwards means you have to look at the Teretz and see what the Teretz says and then by implication you can know what the kasha didn't hold of. Okay? It's one of the ways of doing it. So now, in the Territz, Tosis answers, and let's go to the Shaklan Tire. Shaklan Tire is Makshin! Ask me the Kasha. Uh, Makshin, why did you ask the Kasha only on the ratio? You could have asked a similar question on the Sefer. I'm glad you asked me that. I couldn't have asked the, I couldn't have asked the Kasha on the, on the Sefer. Do you know why? Because in the Sefer, it's talked, what the discussion is, you are obligated, you're the owner of the jug, and you have to pay me for my damages. Your obligation is to make sure that I don't get hurt. When I'm walking down the road, I have to have a super vigilance to make sure I don't hurt you, but I don't have to make super, have super vigilance to, the, to make sure that I don't get hurt myself. There, you have to be the super vigilant one. So I have to be more careful about damaging you than becoming damaged myself. So really, we understand perfectly why in the safe you are obligated to pay for me because I don't have to look where I'm going in order not to get hurt. I have to look where I'm going in order not to hurt others. You following me? Now obviously, do you understand, as the discussion ensues, you start to see, does that far make sense? One second. If I'm looking to see where I'm going, not to hurt others, I'm looking to see where I'm going, not to be hurt myself. So what this process means that you have to be, you have to watch not to hurt others more so than you watch yourself. Surely, the Pu'ula Hadashmis is exactly the same. As a result, you develop a whole series and array of kashas which help you to understand by fleshing out these principles. Finally, we have substitution. How do you substitute the words of Tosis back into the Gemara? So the truth is, there's no real change 
in the text of the Gemara that you have to employ because the text of the Gemara stays the same. What you have to do is you just your understanding of why the Makshan asked Chai and not there is clarified. But in terms of substitution, at this point in time, there's no direct substitution. Substituting a Chaya instead of positive. If we're asking the Kasha. But the, ca- the substitution is after you've given the territory how it fits back in. You could also, no, no, because the, 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 the kasha, you're saying the text is problematic. In the text, you're saying this is how you read the text. So that's why you need to do substitution. So what was the premise of the question? So what was it? Now, now let's go back. So what was the premise of the kasha? The premise of the kasha obviously was that you have to be as nizar to getting hurt yourself as towards hurting others. So they, have, they, they haven't solved that problem, but that's, now that's another problem. So then why is it preferable to ask on the safe and non the ratio? That's, that's the advanced chair. <laughs> Means I don't know. <laughs> so, so, so now, that, that becomes very tricky. In other words, that, that, what, what, what he asked was, maybe choice is really, there's no real havamin over here. He just wants to bring out the mahalach through a cash and terrorist form. So, so you could say that. That's always a last resort. Now, you could bring, you could bring a, a, a support to what you're saying because, as we said, there's different degrees of kashas and terrorism in choices. Vitema is a kind of kasha that when you see Vitema, you should be falling off your chair. Vintema is slightly less. Gav is even less. Vainloima is even less. And when it's implicit, the severity of the kasha is even less. So over here, it's implicit. Almost don't say this. So it doesn't mean it means that the Havamini isn't that strong, but it still needs to be dispelled. But it's not that strong. So what you're saying is you're right, but there is still something there, otherwise so you wouldn't bother expelling it. Okay? So I got that's how it works. The tamer, the tamer, the afagav, the loimar, and then implicit kashas. The way they answer is that a tamer is often answered with a nire. Because the nearer means there's still a suffix in the answer. It appears it's not mukhach, and since there was such a stark kasha, so it's often not answered con- convincingly. And in Tremah, it's usually answered by Yeshlema. Afogav generally goes together with a Mikol Mokrem, and then you have a Vaha, and a, but simply speaking, I'm not telling you everything, but just so you make a conscious awareness of when you're going through it, you identify the keyword and you spell those out to your students to make sure they can identify and make life easier for them. What if you have a very weak English vocabulary? You have to start learning more words. <laughs> one, one, one of the roles of a teacher, you have to, it's actually not a joke, one of the roles of the teacher is you have to be constantly working on your vocabulary. There is nothing more frustrating to a student than a teacher that, that humbles and, and fumbles and he can't get words out of his mouth. So, your vocabulary you had when you came in? No, my vocabulary is constantly improving. Uh, that's the problem, right? You have to eat, read Oscar. <laughs> and then you get words like revivify. Mechai Mason, revivify. As long as you can explain yourself clearly, but sometimes when you've got, you, uh, uh, there's a problem. If your vocabulary is bigger than your students, so then it's not going to help you. So you have to pay, but, but sometimes you don't know words that your students do, and when you're trying to express yourself, so if you don't know a word, so it becomes, you say, it's, it's an animal with four legs, and they say a dog, you say, not, not quite a dog, and you say, it's got horns, and then they say, a buffalo, you say, almost, almost. If you know the word cow, it's much easier. Yeah. So, first of all, the way you get things clear is through contrast. If you say the choices, there's no real path for having me over here, so why wouldn't choices just tell me the chat? No, but he explained to me, you would have thought this way. In other words, he, he didn't say it explicitly, but he meant, he didn't, he didn't, he, Tracer could have said, just, but he said, Why is he should have said, Perush, 
The reason why is as follows. Look at so that's true. In this case, that would be when you have a distinction. So I, I, I generally would err on the side of explaining a contrasting opinion to illustrate what you mean because it, it makes things crisper. Okay. Um, throughout this all, the teacher is doing the reading and the explaining. How do you teach reading? Okay, his question is, how do you teach reading to then throughout this, I've been doing the teaching and the explaining, what do the students do? So now, I've been doing the teaching and explaining just because of the necessity of this class. But if I'd be working with real live students, so I would try to limit my explanation to the, to, to the least possible explanation, and I try to get their maximum participation and get them to read. However, you have to be careful. Because the minute you ask students to read, it depends on the size of the class and it depends on the fluency of reading. You can't always get students to read too much because it will drive the other people in the class absolutely crazy. If they have to listen to a person reading a sentence in five minutes, they'll go crazy. So what you should generally do is as follows. If you have the possibility of reading with the guys one-on-one -on -one in Chavrusa time, ideal. But the Ebed, in the class, use small times, ask them to read a sentence, yes, sentence there, depending on the level of reading. The better they read, the better they read, the more you get them to read. And make sure that it doesn't become absolutely frustrating for other guys in the class. The only way to teach reading is for them to actually sit down and read? There's no QT acronym? Or no, uh, re reading comes from practice. Practice, practice, and practice. Is the, the app that you give your share, is the idea to move into Kaluza after that? Well, ideally, it's before that, right? You only have the guys that they're already thinking about the thing. So you have the Chavrusa time. In other words, let's say, let's say you've got... Um, an hour and a half to work with them. So you give them 45 minutes preparation, 45 minutes share. Okay, gentlemen, thank you.